Hey everyone, Danielle here. We are headed to the Max Conference, which is in Indianapolis. That's a new city for me. And I can't even tell you how excited I am. And we're looking forward to meeting so many new people, seeing all of our friends. There's gonna be definitely some new artists that I haven't seen before. And I can't wait to find out more. I love getting my season planning started in September. I think that that makes the rest of the fall go a lot smoother. It helps our contracting kind of get started. And there's a lot of PD sessions I already have on my calendar, but one that I'm especially gonna be attending is the one that I'm moderating from 2.15 to 3.45 on Monday. But we are also going to be exhibitors. The podcast will have a booth and we're gonna be doing live podcast recordings. We're gonna be at booth 2.51. <laughs> so go register now. It doesn't matter where you live or how you see yourself in this industry. We can't wait to see you at the Max Conference in Indianapolis. Let's go. Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your favorite podcast about the performing arts and touring industry. There's no business like. I'm Kevin Maynard, joining you from the Quad City Arts, located in Rock Island, Illinois. And as always, I am joined by my friends and fellow hosts, Josh. Josh Benson, Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Katie. Hey, everyone. Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. Danielle. Hey, it's Danielle Vanhook from the Alden in McLean, Virginia. And Brian. Hey, Brian Zelmer from KU Presents at Kutztown University. Excellent. Well, friends, today's interview is with my friend Mason Moss, who is the music director for the Book of Mormon National Tour. And in this interview, I learned some interesting things, interesting terms that I had not heard of before. So I got online and I was looking to see some old and sometimes some unknown uh, theater terminology. And I wanted to see if you guys knew some of these. So we'll start with some easy ones. I was going to say, wait, is Kevin leading a game instead of Danielle? Oh, no, this is, not a, this is not a game. This, oh, okay. is, this is just fact sharing. Got it. Okay. <laughs> sure sounds like a game. Is there a buzzer? There is no buzzer. There is no winners. There's no guessing. There, nope. There's no buzzer. No winners. You're, you're all losers. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, okay, so we will start with some easy ones um, just to get you sort of uh, warmed up. Um, so let's start with, you know, uh, some simple ones like stage left and stage right. Do you want us to tell you what they are? Yeah, yeah, oh. we'll go with that. <laughs> definitely not a game. <laughs> it's totally a game. <laughs> so as you're looking at the audience, stage right is to your right. Stage left is to your left. Yay. Okay. That it that nailed it. Two points for Katie. Okay, thank you. Now there's no points, Brian. <laughs> this is a great game, uh, Kevin. <laughs> I would give her ten. Yeah, five each. <laughs> All right. Uh, what about uh, the term barn door? That goes on a lighting fixture, and it can close off uh, the beam from one side or the other, or the top or the bottom. There's four shutters. Nailed it, Brian. Zero points. Ten. Uh, thank you, Danielle. <laughs> At least Kevin's referencing the points in the game now. <laughs> uh, what we'll about <laughs> what about the term beginners? Beginners. Can we hear yeah. it in a sentence? I think it gives it away if I say this. <laughs> National origin. Uh, the Google document that I found. 
<laughs> no idea. Never heard it. Uh, so beginners are the actors that are on stage when the grand curtain opens. So I think I got 10 points on that one. Do you? Oh, you'll grant yourself points? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I remember <laughs> I said at the beginning, you all are losers because I win. <laughs> <laughs> That is usually how these games go, to be clear. Yeah, that's a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so right on track. What about uh, the term uh, Skycloth? I had never heard this one. James Bond film. <laughs> a Skycloth is also referred to as a cyclorama. It's in the back. You use lights to to cast color upon yeah, it. Yeah, so that was a term that I, I had never heard uh, for the, I'd always just referred to it as, you know, the cyclorama or the psych. I'd never heard Skycloth. So this was a new one to me, uh, a Wandle probe. It's like Sitz probe. Wandle probe, Sitz probe, same thing. It is. Do you know the difference between the two? One's German. One starts with the W and one starts with an S. <laughs> Does it have to do with the music? Uh, no, no, it actually, so a sits probe is a seated rehearsal, uh, typically first time with your orchestra singing through the Wandel probe, or you say Wandel, is it Wandel? Yeah, because it's German. <laughs> See, I was right, one is German. I, I am not, uh, but it's actually, it's where you wander through your blocking um, while singing along, so. Uh, minus 20 for Kevin. Um, and I'll just do one more for you. Um, have you heard of the term 11 o'clock number? Yeah, it's the big kind of like showstopper right before the end of a show. It is. A musical. Yep. Um, and it's because shows used to start at 830. Uh, and so they would sort of time one out to be about 11 o'clock so that you would leave the theater humming the song. So a good example of this one is like Guys and Dolls, um, Sit Down and Rock in the Boat. That was a fun game, Kevin. Good game. Uh, definitely not a game. But if uh, I had to guess, I guess Katie probably won that one. So <laughs> good game, Katie. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, I've got a bonus question. Winner takes all. For all the points, whoever gets this one wins everything. The term Mr. Sands. So used in a sentence, uh, Mr. Sands is in the wings. I was going to go with a fly operator because of their, because the flies were driven by sandbags. Sandbags. Good guess. Oh yeah, so that was that's probably uh, contextually contextually that I I fooled you um, because it's technically it could be anywhere. Mister Sands can be anywhere in the building. I'm thinking of the vaudeville times when the guy would go and throw sand on the stage and do that little dance number with the sand. No, 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 no. It's actually a term. It's a term for a fire. Uh, so you wouldn't alarm the audience. You'd say, Mr. Sands is over here, uh, which seems like a really terrible thing to have a code word for because it feels like, hey, maybe we should tell the audience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so since none of you got that, you all lose. Uh, <laughs> definitely not a game. Uh <laughs> All right. Well, friends, I had a really great time sitting down with Mason Moss. Uh, please enjoy this interview. My name is Mason Moss, and I'm the music director of the Book of Mormon National Tour. Well, Mason, thank you for sitting down and having this conversation with me. Before we dive into the Book of Mormon stuff, um, I want to talk about like how did you get to where you are now? I started playing music at about 10 years old when I started playing piano and taking piano lessons in school. So I joined band in sixth grade playing the saxophone and was in band all through high school. And while I was in high school, I did our pit orchestras and that's where I learned uh, that I really loved like 
playing theater music and I really had a knack for playing theater music. So I went to college at Western Illinois University and I studied music education down there as well as jazz piano. And while I was down there, I was in multiple ensembles and that's where I sort of cut my teeth in learning a lot of the stuff with music. Um, directly after college, I came back to the Quad Cities and started working intermittently with uh, several area school programs as like a marching band tech or an accompanist. And, and eventually I settled down in the Moline School District at Wilson Middle School as a choir accompanist. And then I was at First Congregational Church in Moline as well as the organist and the pianist. On top of all of this, I was always doing uh, theater in and around the Quad Cities. I did some work at Music Guild. I did some work at Circa. I did some work at Black Box. I did some work at the Spotlight Theater. And most specifically in 2018, the tour of Book of Mormon that was out at the time came through and did a week-long sit in the Quad Cities. Mm -hmm. And as a part of their contract, they hired in local musicians, to which I was hired in as a key two sub. That experience was really great. I got along really well with the associate music director and the music director at the time. They were in need of a, a keyboard swing or a rehearsal pianist, however you want to see that, that position, somebody to come out and cover vacation times when they had new cast members. I would then go out several times in 2019 and cover multiple week-long stretches of the tour as either a keyboard sub or playing rehearsal piano for new cast members coming in and then eventually being trained as an emergency conductor on the show to sort of be there just in case anything were to go wrong or anything anybody were to get sick or any emergency situation were to come up. And as a result of that, I got to experience a lot of really cool places with the show back in 2019. A couple of choice ones that I really enjoyed. I got to go to New Orleans with the show. I got to go to California with the show, like San Jose, Thousand Oaks, San Diego. And I got to spend a month in Mexico with the show as well, which was really, really awesome just to like be a part of the show and to, to get a taste of what touring was like at that point without having to uh, make the full-time commitment to sign, you know, a year-long contract or, or several years. And then as we all know, in 2020, the world shut down for a little bit. And post-pandemic, uh, I did some work at, you know, community theaters and regional theaters and stuff in and around the Quad Cities, cutting my teeth as a music director, cutting my teeth as a pianist, trying my best to uh, get myself prepared should another opportunity come up. And then in the spring of 2022, the Book of Mormon was going out on another tour. And so I inquired with some of my colleagues that were involved with the show previous and just sort of put my name out there and said, hey, if there's any opportunity, I would like to be considered and to be in the running. Several email chains, phone calls, text message threads later, I was eventually offered the opportunity to be the music director. And so that entailed traveling to New York City, spending about three weeks there rehearsing the full company, getting the company ready to go out on tour. So we had a three-week rehearsal process in New York City. We did about a two-week tech process in Utica, New York. And then after that, we were off to the races, and we've been out on tour ever since September of last year. Wow. Mason, there's a lot to unpack there. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so first, I think what I, I absolutely love about your story is that it starts in the Quad Cities. Absolutely. Like it starts locally and you did things locally. So what was the transition from, you know, like music education to like working in theater? Like is is there like similarities, differences? Like what was the hardest jump from that? Or is it just the same thing? I would say it's not necessarily the same thing. I would say that a lot of the concepts that I studied in music school and college did directly transfer. And actually some of the music ed things set me up better for what I do as a job because part of my job is to teach vocal parts and to conduct and to you know do things that you do learn as as a music education major 
a little bit more deeply than you do in some of the other degrees. Music ed focuses a lot more on top of like the schooling aspect of things, just general teaching concepts. It does focus a lot more on you have to do advanced conducting and I had to do, you know, more in-depth understanding of how to lead an ensemble. And I'd say that a lot of those concepts really did directly transfer to what I did. And it was very evident from the first show that I ever was an assistant music director on. It was well within my wheelhouse. I, I sort of tell people that when I assistant music directed that show, it was a production of Little Shop. And after it, I went, wait, you mean that the job is just playing piano, teaching vocal parts and leading a band? <laughs> well, that's all stuff that I know how to do already. So why am I not doing this? And like I said, I'd had, uh, I'd played for theater shows in the past. Like I did one show in college and then four shows in high school, but I always played reeds. And so I'd never looked at it from the perspective as a pianist, as a music director, as a conductor. Um, and when I started looking at theater in that sort of capacity, it sort of opened up my eyes to like the possibilities. And then the, the nail in the coffin per se was when Book of Mormon came through and I realized that, oh, this is a job that people can do full time. This is a job that being on the road and being a, a musician, being a music director is something that uh, you can be employed doing. That was really, really special and really, really cool to me, too, because I, I had never realized that. I guess I like it was sort of this ambiguous thing that I knew existed, but I didn't know I, how to get into that business or what those people did or what that industry was even like. So it's been nice to sort of marry those two. So your role is the music director. And so what exactly does that entail versus you mentioned an assistant and then a supervisor? Correct. Correct. Yeah, there are several music roles. Uh, we are comprised of a music team that's associated with the show. Uh, my music supervisor, his name is Justin Mendoza. He is the Broadway conductor of the show. His music supervisor on top of that is a man named Stephen Arimas who's responsible for the vocal arrangements for the show as well. They are in charge of sort of setting the creative and artistic direction for the show. So Justin and Steve were in with us while we were in New York City and sort of said, this is how the score is supposed to sound. These are what This is what the motivation behind these vocal parts are. This is what the energy is in this section that I need from it. As a result, they will then come out and check up on us every once in a while just to make sure that that integrity is still solid and that the direction is still there. And if they need to adjust and make any notes, that's their job. My job as a music director, I like to say, is to rehearse, maintain, and perform the show. All three of those roles. So I'll break those down. Rehearsing the show, meaning that anytime we have new cast members, anytime we have, we need a vocal brush up rehearsal, any of that, I'm responsible for, uh, making sure that all of those rehearsals happen, that people know things to the best of their ability, that the integrity and the motivation of the show is being communicated clearly to each new cast member that comes in and as well as the company as it stands, you know, three months, six months, nine months into the tour. That also kind of goes into maintaining the show, which is making sure that I'm actively working with specific cast members to make sure the show is always growing and developing and getting better and never feeling um, stagnant or stable or one note. And then the final portion of it, which is arguably the easiest and most fun portion of it, is performing and conducting the show every night. Um, this is a play conduct, meaning that I don't just wave my hands or a stick for the show. I also play keyboards for the show. Um, and it's a show that's very much built around the piano and a piano-centric show. So it's 
it's nice to have that connection with my actors up on stage. And it's also nice to have that role where I am responsible for setting some of the intent and the artistic control over like how I play and how that affects, you know, everything else. You mentioned new people coming in, you're rehearsing them and you mentioned vocal brush ups. When you have those, is that you determining that or is that already built into the schedule like hey every week every month or whatever we're going to go over this or you're just watching the show and going we're missing something here most of the time it's driven by me and when the cast needs it more than anything how i tend to look at is i i will let the show live for a certain amount of time until i start to hear maybe a few too many things that i'm not happy with or things that like we could fix i know with our schedule too sometimes it becomes difficult to plan in when that rehearsal is going to be so sometimes we have to wait till we're in a location for a longer period of time and so uh finding that time is also really interesting too so specifically like a couple weeks before we hit chicago we did a vocal brush up rehearsal i asked for it i figured out exactly what was on my laundry list of things that we needed to check up on and then we had a two or three hour brush up rehearsal where the entire cast was there we sang through things we fixed some things and then the show was then cleaner and well maintained as a result of that going into chicago and going forward from here in other conversations that, that you and i have had you've talked about having swings come in like what what is a swing? So a swing, uh, they're really the unsung heroes of any Broadway theater show in general. Their responsibility is to learn and cover multiple tracks of the show at any given time. So they are essentially in an emergency coverage sort of situation. So should somebody get sick? Should somebody hurt themselves? Should somebody need to take some time off and take a personal day? The swing will then swing into, mm. where is where that term comes from, that role and perform that role. Which for our show, we have three different sets of swings because we have three different groups of people within our show. They could cover at any time anywhere between four to eight tracks, meaning that they have to know choreography, separate vocal lines, separate blocking, dialogue, costume changes, all of these things are are impacted and at a moment's notice they have to be ready to go into a specific track and know what what all the responsibilities of that are. Wow. I, I mean, just having seen this show, I was focusing just on the Mormon boys. Like yeah. being ready to take over for any one of those. Oh my gosh. Like <laughs> You've seen the show, and without getting too much into detail, you know, there's some specific choreography that's like partner choreography, and there's some other stuff that on a given night, you might be on the left side, you might be on the right side, you might be on stage left, you might be on stage right, you might not even be on stage for this moment, you might come out halfway in the number, like you... And you have to know that or else, you know, you might make an entrance early or late or miss something. I guess just thinking about that is making my heart race. Right. It's, <laughs> so. it's, it's, that's why I really wanted to lead it with like they are the unsung heroes of any tour because like the swings and understudies, especially in a post-COVID sort of situation, mm. they really do save the show and they really yeah. do make sure that the show is always going on and always being moving forward. So do you have, I mean, X amount of like... I don't, I don't want to say like extra actors coming with you, but like people who are designed to be in those swing roles that are just touring with the show at any given time. Or is that just sort of like, you know, they're, they're able to fly in or they're able to be in? No, our swings are full time with the company. So oh, wow. they are they travel with the company. They stay with us. They they are at the theater every single night. I mean, you also have to realize that there are instances where we may have a cast member go down a third of the way through the show mm. or halfway through the show. And all of a sudden that person that wasn't called in for tonight has to get a costume on and has to go on stage. And that is absolutely something that has happened while we've been out on the road. Wow. That is honestly, I mean, 
it's always impressive, like seeing a show and seeing like, you know, performances and those things coming together. But knowing that that's a possibility and that that's a role in a company is incredible. And I will say like it is hard work and the, our, our swings are really, really incredible. We always say whenever we're, we're casting a swing, like, do they have swing brain? Because the ability to like have to turn on a track and like know what you're doing and know all the different responsibilities that come with that. Uh, takes a very specific kind of like thought process and mental focus because I- I'll be honest, like I, I couldn't do it. No, I, I could, I can play both keyboard books to the show and the rehearsal book to the show, which is a little bit like being a swing, but I can't play all the books to this show. I can't go out there and sing every vocal part. I can't go out there and do the dance at all. So I don't want to like get too into the weeds on, on contracts, but what I'm curious about is like, what are some standard things in contracts or what's like a standard length in a contract for, you know, obviously we can focus just on the, the music director role of that. It kind of depends on the situation and the tour, a national tour contract like this, my offer was roughly for a year. Should you want to leave, you can put in, you know, notice and you can leave after six weeks and whatnot. There's paid sick days, there's paid time off, there's... Uh, opportunities for for benefits and and all the other stuff, um, which I'm really grateful for because those are not always things that were afforded to me at my previous jobs because most of them were part time. They they also cover things like uh, housing is covered. We get a weekly per diem, stuff like that. So they they do really do the most to make sure that people are taken care of and at least you know accommodated for in terms of living and take caring of themselves. And that's also on top of again, I do make a weekly salary if the show has uh, plans to go on past, you know, one year or one season, there's a good chance that they you, you can and will can be offered renewals for longer periods of time and whatnot. There are limited engagement tours that are shorter periods of time, three months, six months. Uh, there are music directors positions in other forms of theater, like regional theaters and other uh, New York adjacent theaters, Chicago adjacent theaters, et cetera, big markets that you can also work in. And those contracts might also be limited to you know, a few weeks, a few months. Um, And so I think part of the job is like navigating that landscape in that industry of like, okay, you're not always going to get a year long or a two year long contract. Sometimes you might have to piecemeal a three month contract and then a couple weeks here and then a six month contract. And most people that I know, that's, that's how they work. Do you have an understudy? So I have an assistant music director. So he is, our keyboard two player. Um, and he's also sort of my, my right hand man. His name is Thomas. He's really, really fabulous and amazing, amazing pianist. Um, he's been with us since the rehearsal process in New York city. He plays for most rehearsals so that I can sit in the audience and take notes or so I can like sit back, especially when we're working with like understudies or swings or new cast members. It allows me to sort of like focus on giving them all the information they need. And he's able to just like play in a company and whatnot. Gotcha. Uh, He does step in and he conducts the show as well. He has conducted the show several times and he's just sort of there as my backup and my support and sort of like to be there and be my right hand man for anything that I need. He, he listens to the show fairly regularly as well. We, we, uh, communicate and we discuss various things that we think might need to be worked on and how to best go about doing that. And uh, that's sort of the role of an assistant music director is to be the rehearsal pianist and then to sort of be a sounding ground and a nice space for the music director to have a back and forth and to collaborate with for the betterment of the show. Interesting. So hypothetically, you get sick, he steps in, do you hire somebody local to do the next swing or is there somebody that's with, with the tour? Yes. And yes, we've actually explored. <laughs> well, there's nobody that travels with the tour full time. I will say that as a keyboard swing, 
but we've done both things where if we do get in a situation, it hasn't been with me needing to be out. It's actually had been with Thomas who's needed to be out, um, illness and whatnot. Life happens. Uh, and we've hired local musician to come fill in the book. And then we also now have a, a short list of subs who have played the book who should we get in a situation where we have enough time to plan and to get coverage, we will fly somebody out who has played the book before. So similar to how you got started with Book of Mormon. Absolutely. The subs, yes, they're they're getting involved with the the Book of Mormon in that way. And that's actually really how I got my foot in the door too, is just like being a key to sub and being available and being ready to like be coming out here and, and do the thing whenever people called and asked for it. So obviously tour life is, is not for everybody. And it's not something that you know, a lot of people get to experience. Um, so what is that like? If you, uh, are interested in touring and you ever want to know about touring, just get real comfortable with being in hotel rooms, get real comfortable with busing and flying. Uh, I will say that a lot of my job is travel. Uh, we do a mix of bus travel and flight travel. It's just sort of dependent on how far of a distance we're traveling and how much of a time frame we have to work within. We live out of suitcases essentially so we have two checked bags that we bring out with us that we're allowed to bring on flights and checked alongside your typical carry-on allotment and whatnot which becomes interesting so you're basically having to pack your entire life (laughs) for any given season in about a hundred pound weight limit Mm. over two bags so for me, I'm, I'm pretty economical and conservative when it comes to packing. So it's mainly just clothes. And even then, not too much. I tend to pack about enough clothes to get me through two to three weeks. And then the the joy of finding laundry in whatever city that you're, you're in, which is another tour struggle that you don't really account for until you have to do it. <laughs> but some hotels have laundry, which is really great. Not all hotels have laundry. So you learn how to use... Uh, uh, actual like laundry service apps like Sudshare and stuff like that, which is essentially like Uber for laundry. Did not know that was a thing. They will come and pick up your laundry and do it for you. It's not available in every market, but it's something that we we do utilize. If neither of those are an option, then like you would have to do it and find a laundromat to go to, which might require, you know, Ubering to get to that laundromat and then doing your laundry for the day. Sometimes like I have a a hot plate out with me. So like I have the ability to cook in my room sometimes and and I do take advantage of that so that I'm not eating out all the time and spending a lot of money. That's sort of the gist of the the basics, the nitty gritty of, of road life. It's a lot of, you know, wake up in the morning, travel on a bus to the next city for a little bit, hang out there for a few days or a week or a couple weeks at a time and then get on a bus or a plane and do it all over again with the tour schedule and with everything that you're you know with performances and everything do you actually get to experience those cities or it's it's a fair mix i'd say that that's uh it just depends on some factors how long we sit in the city Mm -hmm. um how many shows we're doing in the city while we're in there for that amount of time and then also like how early or late we get into the city there are some cities that we will be traveling in to a show that night. So we may pull in at three o'clock in the afternoon to the hotel, throw our bags down, get a couple of hours and then have a five or five thirty sound check that day. That sort of can limit sometimes how much you can get in and around. Or if it's like a one night engagement, you really aren't going to get a chance to see that, that city because you're yeah. rolling in, doing a show, going back to the hotel, maybe going out that night and then leaving the next day for whatever the next city is. Or if you're in a city for a five show weekend, 
right? You may only be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but you've got a show on Friday night, two shows on Saturdays and two shows on Sundays. So there's opportunity for you to explore <laughs> the city, but it's also a balance of like maintaining physical health and physical well-being and being exhausted from doing your job and performing five times in that weekend. So what is what, what is the, the hardest thing about tour life? Personally, the hardest thing about tour life in general is maintaining a sense of self and making sure that you're taking care of yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, whatever those parameters may be. It gets to be very easy sometimes to like get wrapped up in in the enamoring of tour life and like we are visiting really cool cities. I mean, we we're currently in Chicago. We've been here for a week and Chicago's a very interesting place with a lot to do. That being said, on top of being in a very interesting place, I've also had to rehearse new cast members this week, conduct the show eight times this week, rehearse some brand new musicians and a new band and stuff like that as we've been in this market. It's sometimes easy to like lose sight until you're at the end of your rope and be like, oh, I didn't drink enough water this week. I didn't get enough sleep this week. I didn't take enough time for myself to just like, you know, really isolate and like take some 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 focus time for myself. Um, and I'd say that like, You have to have that awareness out on tour. I need to take a break. I need to take some time to myself. Or, you know, for some people that's even acknowledging that tour isn't for me and this is too much. And like, maybe this is the point where I need to reconsider, like, is this the job that I want to do? And I, you know, that might lead into people deciding to leave and that might lead into people deciding to go other places and do other things, Um, which is, in my opinion, totally normal and part of the cycle. I always tell cast members, company members, crew members, band members, whoever it is, like, put yourself first. Like, at the end of the day, while this is an amazing job and I'm grateful to be here, it's it's a job And, and you can't let it take everything out of you and you have to, like, make sure that you're taking care of yourself first and foremost. I love that. That's a great message. What do you do to take care of yourself on the road? Let's preface this by saying like music in general is always been like a therapy tool for me on top of like being what I've chosen to like work in and like choose as my career. It is also my passion and is what I use to sort of calm down. So when I'm feeling particularly elevated or agitated or frustrated or whatever, um, I'm afforded a keyboard in my dressing room and my own dressing room in most venues, which is nice because I can sort of take time to myself in my own space and sometimes just sit behind a keyboard and just like let things pour out. Getting outside and doing things and being physical is a big part of it too. So we are afforded while we're here in Chicago, it's it's enough of a distance that they've offered to pay for us to Uber to and from the theater. It's only a 0.7 mile walk, so I choose to walk it every day. That 0.7 miles to and from the theater is enough of a physical, you know, exercise, getting me breathing, getting my heart moving, that I feel better and I feel, you know, more physically and mentally well as a result of it. So it's 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 little stuff and it's knowing yourself well enough to know, like, maybe it's I'm going to get into the city and I'm going to take a bath when I get into the hotel. Like, there's a really nice bathtub and I'm, I'm just going to sit and soak in the bathtub for a couple hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's all of those sorts of things that, they're different from person to person, but yeah. that's like what I do to help take care of myself. Um, so I asked you the, 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 the negative side of things, like what's the hard part about touring, but like, what's your favorite part about being out on this tour? Again, you're touring, you're going and you're getting to see parts of the country that I would have never really had the opportunity to see. And in a lot of ways, you know, because you're working for a company, you know, they're covering your housing, you're getting paid a salary to be out here. They're covering all your travel. So there's a lot of these, uh, 
these markets that we've been to that I'm super happy and grateful for. Like this time in Chicago has been really amazing. We spent a lot of time in uh, Los Angeles. We spent some time in Sacramento, even markets that I would have never even been to of my own accord, like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Spokane, Washington, you know, all these places that I've never even like pictured what they are in my mind. And then I get there and they're amazing places like so lively so full of you know people and life and things to do and it's it's that's always the coolest part for me is like getting to like go out and explore and see all these like places and all the things that these markets have to offer for anybody who hasn't seen book of mormon can you give just a brief description on book of mormon (laughs) i I will say so book of mormon is a nine-time tony award-winning musical uh written by Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and Robert Lopez. Trey Parker and Matt Stone are the creators of South Park, the show on uh, Comedy Central. Robert Lopez uh, wrote the music for the musical Avenue Q, which won the Tony for Best Musical. So if you're familiar with that show, you would know that that show has a very similar tone to this show. Um, And I would say without going too much into detail, it's a very raucous musical about two Mormon missionaries who are going to Africa on their mission. And that's what I leave it at with most people. All of the trials and or tribulations and or experiences that they might experience blown up through the satirical lens of the South Park writers is, is the, the, the show. Perfect. It's great. One of the things that we like to do on the show is take people like back in time. Um, So I want to take you back to, We'll say 2018, right around the time where you are playing at the Adler for uh, Book of Mormon. Right. What would you go back to tell yourself at that point in time in your in your career? Trust yourself. Trust your instincts, and just keep practicing. There was a lot back then that I sort of doubted about. There was a lot of difficult things in regards to like that entire process. Uh, the keyboard two book for this show is very, very demanding and very essential for the overall sound package of what the show is. There are several big important moments of the show. The biggest one that happens right off the top is all of the doorbells for our opening number are all in key two. Oh. Meaning that if one of those is is <laughs> even mistaken, you've you've affected the show at that point. It's it's a major effect within the opening number. Um, and that is just one of the moments within the show. The book has over 300 patches, and a patch is basically a a sound or a split keyboard Mm -hmm. for uh, a specific moment in the show. So it has well over 300 of those in the show. Um, Most of them are every couple of bars. So you'll play for a couple of bars, and you'll hit a, a pedal with your foot, and then you'll be on a whole different set of instruments, you know? And the Keyboard 2 book in in general is very dense because it not only covers keyboard layers, it covers strings, it covers horns and winds, it covers percussion, it covers some auxiliary sound effects and other stuff. So I would tell myself, looking back at it, like, trust yourself, don't get overwhelmed, you know how to do this, you know what you've done, and just keep pushing and keep practicing. What would you tell somebody who is maybe high school, college that is getting, that wants to do what you're doing right now. 
there are two rules to getting into this industry. And I tell this to every person who's ever interested. The first rule, always be prepared. Always show up to whatever gig it is and whatever the opportunity is as prepared as you possibly can be. So you can be undeniable. The second rule, be a good person. Don't be don't mean. be an asshole. <laughs> don't be an asshole. Yeah, that's it. That's that's what I tell people yep. essentially. Uh, at the end of the day, you can be the most skilled, talented person in the world, but if you don't know how to interact with people and you don't know how to be personable and actually have good energy with people, chances are, even if you are hired, you won't be rehired. So more more so, I would almost even slot that number one sometimes is to just make sure that you're always treating people with respect and being a good person. And that will go very, very far in whatever industry, but specifically in the music industry. What was it like directing on Broadway for your first time? Yeah, so this last fall, I did get the opportunity to conduct the Broadway company of Book of Mormon. And that was incredible. It feels like a fever dream still, to be honest. (laughs) I got to do it twice. It was always something that was like, an ambition, a goal, a dream, something very far off in the distance. So to see that become a reality was like just one of the most incredible experiences. And I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out and props to my music supervisor, Justin Mendoza, for, for making sure that I was like as prepared and comfortable as possible coming into that situation. He made it as easy and welcoming and supportive of an environment as necessary to like make that experience great. And the entire company of Book of Mormon on Broadway was the most welcoming, generous, and kind people I've ever met. I think sometimes there's a misnomer that when you reach the top of any industry that people are naturally just going to be mean or rude or, or unkind. And it was so nice and so refreshing to get so much support and love from everybody involved. Yeah, I remember when, when you posted that, like it was just, I was so excited for you because like, what an experience. Like, <laughs> Truly, truly a once in a lifetime experience that I will never, ever, ever forget. Like, I will say that the 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 nerves and the anxiety of the experience we finished the opening number and my hands were up in the camera and they were just shaking i mean i was just like i hope they can't see how much i'm shaking right now wow um and then what's it like opening up the the program and seeing your name on the credits there like that's still a really surreal experience too to see to see my name on the same page as like trey parker masto yeah. bobby lopez steven remus all these people that Personally, in my own life, I've idolized for a really long time. I mean, I didn't even touch on this, but I've watched South Park since I was seven or eight years old. (laughs) So I've watched it for 20 plus years of the time that it's been on. And it's it's crazy to like know that I'm so closely involved with a product that like was created by these people that I really, really do idolize and really do like look up to as creators and creatives and artists and and knowing how they work and how their process goes and everything like it's that to me feels like so humbling but also just like so invigorating as to like I truly am you know I I often say I'm like one or two degrees of separation away from like these people and it's just like a really amazing feeling so you play this show eight times a week sometimes how do you keep it fresh and then the sort of the flip side of that like does it ever feel repetitive? Yes and no. All, yeah. <laughs> all of the above. Yes, I do perform the show eight times a week. We just finished show, I think, 170-something wow. last night. That being said, this is a show that lends itself really well to staying fresh and not getting repetitive and boring because it is a funny show and it is a light show. It is a show that is comedic. Depending on who's on that night, I will laugh at new things 
on stage on a nightly basis. From a playing aspect, uh, I'm surrounded by a killer band and there are times and things that we'll do that, you know, are still well within the parameters of what the score is that somebody might add an extra note here. The guitar player might add an extra bend here. The sax player might, you know, fall off a note different here that like that keeps it fresh and it keeps it engaging. And it's always nice to know that like we're always listening to each other and we're always paying attention to each other. And there, there are days that I come in and I'm very by the book and I play the show as, you know, at pretty much the ink on the page, exactly note for note, just because like, that's where I'm meeting the book at that day. That's where my energy's at that day. But I would say that over the longevity of the show, this is a really easy show to like keep fresh and to keep engaging and to keep really like fun just because like the music truly is so fun to play. It's, it's all just a pastiche of all these different styles. I mean, we have rock, metal, pop, theater, jazz, you know, uh, ballads, like pop ballads. Like we have all of the stuff in here that allows it to just sort of live in a fun world to play in. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm doing a show that is just jazz music. I'm not doing a show that is just classical or operetta style. It's, it's, it's all of these things and more, which does, again, also make it really fun to play every night. Mason, anything else that you want to share, impart? I'll end with sort of where I started and that, like, I grew up and am always proud to be, like, a Quad Cities native. And I will say that, like, first and foremost, the reason why I've been here and I am here is because of, like, the arts education I got through Rock Island High School through, you know, some of the arts programs within the Quad Cities and just having and constantly being surrounded by arts and by organizations like the Big Spider Effect Jazz Festival and the Catfish Jazz Society and River Roots and the Redstone Room. And then, you know, as it extended with all the amazing theater opportunities that there are within the Quad Cities, like all of those things really helped to like push me and shape me and mold me into the musician and the artist and the music director that I am today. And I'm like eternally grateful and fortunate to like have that background and to have that area that I can call home to sort of set me off on this trail and on this path. Mason, thanks for your time. This is a lot of fun. So thank you so much, Kevin. This was awesome. Kevin, thanks for bringing Mason Moss to us. I really enjoyed learning about the music side of musical theater. It was really interesting to listen to the different things that they have to go through on their side. But what touched me the most was your civic pride and his civic pride in the Quad Cities and how much, I mean, it's just a testament, we've talked about this before, how important the arts was to to him growing up and how it influenced his entire life. You know, a lot of people will, will go on, get this professional career, you know, elsewhere and not return. But he is so proud of the Quad Cities because of the upbringing he had. And I just thought that was incredible. I really enjoyed hearing that part of his story, too. I mean, obviously, like I, I knew him from, you know, being in this area, but knowing that he values that and, and respects that as well. Like it just, it, it sort of solidifies everything that that I'm doing here at Quad City Arts and that we're pushing through on the advocacy level of the things we're doing. And I mean, that's an awesome thing that's happening in the, in the Quad Cities. And, and you've talked a lot about that. So we all knew that the Quad Cities and Arts and Education were doing uh, wonderful things, but it's a huge testament to doing these kinds of programs in other cities and the value that you have, even though you don't necessarily see it right away in Arts and Education. 
I love the advice that he had uh, at the very end. So be a good person. Always have a good attitude, right? Treat everyone with respect. Like I, we've heard that a couple of times um, interviews, but also he said, show up as prepared as you possibly can be. So you can be undeniable. I love mm-hmm. that. And I was like, mic drop like that word undeniable just it just resonated so hard with me and i think is it's the perfect piece of advice right preparation meets opportunity we've talked about that before like when we talked with natalie marrero and but that word undeniable like you walk in a room and there's no no one is guest second guessing you or no one that you just demonstrate your skill your integrity um your ability to to step into whatever that role is whether it's admin or performance or creative leadership um i just i really loved how he put that I really liked hearing about the tour life itself for him as part of that tour. And the one piece that he said, one of the toughest things is to maintain a sense of self while you're doing this. Because with touring and with everything else, your entire life is revolving around the tour schedule. And to maintain a sense of self within that and that being a struggle is something that had never crossed my mind. Well, I can also imagine like being around a lot of different personalities in close quarters all the time. It's exciting. And you can develop some really wonderful friendships and relationships too. But like then also when you need that quiet time, like having enough confidence or wherewithal to be like, no, I need to, I need to go like take some time for myself or not getting swept up in any drama that might happen or whatever. Like I was just thinking about those things too. And like how difficult that could be being on tour on, you know, a bus with 25 of your closest friends uh, for months and months on end. I also like bring a hot plate, just being able to self-sustain in a hotel setting um, by the simple fact of having a hot plate and being able to prepare a meal. I, I think that's golden right there. I also related to a sense of adventure, how there's been cities that he's gone to that had never even been on his radar or his list to go visit. He probably would never have gone if it wasn't for the tour and discovered new wonderful places. And I thought that was really cool too. And what you were talking about in the beginning, Kevin, of learning new words, I learned what a patch is. Um, not terribly musically inclined, so yes. I can't say that I've ever opened um, a musical pit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, in, in now understanding what that means, 300 of them sounds overwhelming. And I, I, I was struck by that number them as well. Oof, yeah, that is a lot. And being part of the timing and comedy of the show, like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, Kevin, actually, uh, we had Mason's tour, national tour of Book of Mormon here at Midland Center for the Arts um, back in February, I believe. So I got to see Mason conduct, which is really exciting. So I've definitely seen his hands come out of our pit and conduct the show. (laughs) Um, And he answered one of my burning questions, which was the doorbells. Uh, I didn't know if they were sound effects, you know, that the audio, Mm -hmm. the soundboard operator was operating or if they came out of the pit. And so now I know. Um, so I am a little bit smarter than I was before I listened to this interview because um, I really wanted to know. But the whole conversation about the difficulty of that um, and the swings, swings deserve all of the money. Like, please, let's give them all of the money because I think they truly do have the hardest mm-hmm. role, um, especially, you know, particularly on stage, but I think probably within the whole touring and Broadway ecosystem. Um, but then also I loved your conversation about subbing in um, instrumentalists or, or pit members as well, music directors. I think that's just something that we probably don't really think a lot about, but it's a huge logistical issue. Um, and then that's how he got into this, right? Was he was prepared enough and available and he could sub in, right? A local, he was a local sub. And then that journey just grew from there. So I think back to our conversation with the Equinox boys, right? Like that 
level of preparedness, being a good person, stepping up, um, being available, like all of those things propelled him on this journey. From, you know, subbing in locally to conducting that show on Broadway, I mean, is... Within like two years, (laughs) three years, like that's amazing. Yeah, I don't think he timestamped the beginning of it, but it didn't sound like it was that long. No, I think like 2019 (laughs) is when he first subbed in and started, like they brought him on to sub elsewhere and then he was doing conducting on Broadway in 2022. Like what? That's amazing. Yeah. And I loved how he, you know, the advice of being proactive of reaching out, Hey, if there's this opportunity, I would love to do it. Throwing your hat in the ring and not just sitting, waiting for them to call you and look where you can go. And then he, he ends up, you know, not only conducting the tour, but getting on Broadway for two shows. I mean, that that's incredible. at such a young age too. I think that also really plays to the skills that you develop in a music education major in college of all of these skills that transfer over into being a musical pit conductor and maybe something that not a lot of music ed students see whenever they first start out. You know, after hearing him talk about what his job is and what he does, it makes perfect sense. Of course, you would want an arts educator as somebody who's the conductor. Mason's journey reminds me of actually a gentleman who is my middle school choir director and now has like won an Emmy Award for scoring a documentary film. I mean, he has really made quite a career and he started out as my middle school choir director. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think, again, arts and education, those skills are so transferable. And just because that is where you start doesn't mean that's what you're always going to be. And of course, it's perfectly fine if that's what you want to do. But like you can grow, you can move on, you can pursue those dreams. Well, thank you all for joining me on this interview with Mason. And Mason, thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. And to everyone, uh, we'll be with you next week. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Van Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? (laughs) I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslife.com. Do I sound out bus ines every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. Do you guys think rule one or rule two should be be a good person? Oh, rule one. And it's don't be an asshole. Um. <laughs> <laughs>